Welcome to The District, a podcast by The Spectator World about politics and culture. My name is Matt Purple, and I'm joined by my co-host, Amber Athey. And we're also joined today by Congressman Jim Jordan. He is the Republican from Ohio. Uh, Congressman, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. You bet. Good to be with you. Thank you. I want to start with this infrastructure bill that was just passed, recently passed, uh, that's going now to the president's desk. Uh, You voted against the bill. You think it's a bad idea. Uh, Do you want to explain why for us? Well, first of all, remember the context. The Democrats, uh, the Democrats' economic plan is is basically the dumbest plan in history because it is uh, lock down the economy, spend like crazy, pay people not to work, and oh, uh, for everyone who has been working, we're now going to raise your taxes. So that and, and not 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 in the bill that passed last week, but in the one that's coming. And we all know that these two bills are linked because President Biden told us that two months ago. So um, yeah, this bill was not good for the country. Very little of the infrastructure bill was actually infrastructure. Um, so that's a problem. Plus, there's just a the price tag, $1.2 trillion. And now they're going to come with another couple trillion dollar uh, human infrastructure, whatever that means, with all the garbage policy in that. So uh, yeah, this was a bad, bad legislation, bad for the country, but frankly, kind of consistent with the Democrats because they haven't done anything right in the 10 months they've been in control of the federal government. It seemed to me like the appropriate play here for the Republican Party was to let the Democrats duke it out, force them to reach some type of deal. Um, but instead, we actually had 13 Republicans bail them out and vote for the in- infrastructure bill. I just can you try to tap into to what they were thinking here? What was the motivation for them to vote for this? No, you, Amber, you, you, you've nailed it. Uh, that's that would have been the smart thing. Uh, we had them. I mean, when you're in the minority, you don't get to win much. So we had a chance to win. Because they had six of their really hard left uh, members vote against this, uh, it'd have been nice if we could have stopped the whole thing. Because as again, as I said earlier, these two pieces of legislation totaling three trillion dollars at a minimum—it's actually more when because you look at the out years and the accounting gimmicks—they uh, were linked. So the fact that we had thirteen members vote for it was disappointing, is frustrating because um, we had a chance to win and to stop this, and, and particularly particularly just three days after we had the results in Virginia, where the voters spoke loud and clear in a in a blue state, said, no, 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 time out on all this craziness we've seen from Democrats. We're going to elect Glenn Youngkin as governor. And we saw other things happen around the country, municipal elections in New Jersey, the state senator who, you know, the Senate majority leader who lost to the truck driver. So in light of that, then to turn around and 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 have help the Democrats have 13 of our members help the Democrats pass this was was very disappointing. Uh, Congressman, let me play devil's advocate here. And it really is devil's advocate because I don't think that this was a good bill. But uh, the argument goes that America's roads and bridges are are desperately in need of repair, uh, that it's about time that we had some some stimulus money that went to that. Uh, Donald Trump, you know, made this case as well. And so, you know, while you can you can separate kind of the climate bill and the other, you know, the big giveaway that the Democrats want to do with the other legislation, uh, this one might not have been uh, so bad, which is why some Republicans did end up voting for it. Uh, what's your your response to that? How do you why is that a bad argument? Yeah, I think there's I think there's there's three. One is the argument I've said so far. It was actually linked. It's linked. It's part of the bigger package, which is all the crazy spending with the tax increases, the bad energy policy that's in the second bill that I think will pass the House. Let's hope Senator Manchin and Senator Sinema stop it. So, so that, that's number one, too. It was $1.2 trillion. Okay, maybe we need, do need some help on some infrastructure. Then let's just do infrastructure, not $1.2 trillion. And frankly, I don't even know if you need to do that. 
because if we t- if we use the revenue that's earmarked for infrastructure that comes in now under gas tax uh, under un- in our current system for um, for roads and bridges, and we just focused on roads and bridges, not the transit system on the in the northeast corridor that folks in Ohio have to pay for with with their tax money. If we just focused on true infrastructure, we could get a long way towards fixing the problems we have. If we weren't doing highway beautification, planting flowers along the highway, funding funding trains and mass transit and all this stuff, and just focused on the core infrastructure uh, that that you need to have a robust economy, then then that then that would be much better too. So I think for all those reasons, this made no sense, but unfortunately it passed, and now we got to try to stop the the second part of this uh, this package. Yeah, I remember you know a decade ago the Tea Party was very agitated about budgets and government and government debt, um, and you were a part of that. You were elected, I think, a couple of years before that that wave election in 2010, so you were well positioned to uh, to help out with that. And it seemed like that just kind of got washed away at some point. You know, like the attention shifted to other issues. Uh, you know, government spending got left behind. Do you think now that we're seeing this, you know, first a gargantuan COVID package, which some economists, including one of the administration's own former economists, is blaming for the current bout of inflation that we're having, now this infrastructure deal and uh, and also the the other uh, Build Back Better package that they want to ram through, uh, do you think that excessive government spending is about to become a major issue again, or did it ever really even leave? I don't think it really left. I think it, it is becoming more and more of an issue on the minds of American uh, of the American citizens of the American families but in Washington I don't think it is certainly not with Democrats remember just a few weeks ago the Democrat chairman of the House budget committee budget committee said in a TV interview that debt's not a problem because the government can always print money and I'm like you know I, I tell folks I um in college, I, I well, I majored, in, I majored in the sport of wrestling, but you're supposed to get a degree when you're in college. So I got one in economics. I don't pretend to be a genius or anything in economics, but that is basic economics. You can't just print money and it not be a problem. But to have the Democrat chairman of the House Budget Committee make that statement, it shows the Democrats don't care about deficits and debt. I do think Republicans do. I do think the American people get it. But unfortunately, the, the folks running the Congress right now don't. Do you think maybe a, a more effective message on that, particularly for this bill, the reconciliation package, is to talk about the price tag, yes, but also what's actually in it? Because my sense is that Americans are, are less likely to reject something out of hand just because it's socialist or it spends a lot of money if they like what's actually in it. I think the problem here is that you know what's actually in the bill is bad, too. Yeah, bad energy policy, bad tax policy. I think you're right. The spending level is bad enough. And I think Matt hit on that. That's a big concern. But the actual policies are even worse. I mean, we had we had last week in a in a committee hearing. Think about the energy situation. We, you know, we've in 10 months time, we went from a uh, energy independence to now the spectacle of the president of the United States begging OPEC to increase production. So we were in a hearing last week and they had the CEOs of all the big oil and gas companies in Exxon, Chevron, BP, all the oil and gas in, in for this hearing, Ro Khan, a Democrat member from, of Congress from Silicon Valley, he is questioning, actually badgering the witnesses, saying, "Will you pledge?" You ask him time and time again, "Will you pledge to decrease production this year? Will you promise to not increase production but to lower production this year?" And I'm thinking, like, so I asked my colleague, I said, "Would you give me 20 seconds?" He was up next. My uh, Ralph uh, Norman was up next from South. So can you can you yield me a few few seconds? And I said, "This is crazy." 
you you're you're badgering and 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 trying to get American companies to decrease production at the same time the president of the United States is encouraging OPEC to increase production. I said, what do you want? Eight dollar gas. So yeah, the policies in this, particularly as it comes as it relates to energy and to the tax burden it's going to place on American families, I think are the real problems. I live in a very blue part of the country, Congressman, and people are complaining about gas prices here too. I mean, it's this kind of universal issue. Uh, I want to touch on the energy issue for a minute, though, because uh, it seems to me like one reason Donald Trump won was that if you went out to Western Pennsylvania, West Virginia in uh, 2016, you heard a lot about the EPA and you heard a lot about the environmental bureaucracy and these mandates that were coming down and people who were genuinely afraid for their livelihoods, you know, who they saw what had happened to coal. Uh, they'd finally gotten jobs again with natural gas in some cases, but they were worried the EPA, the Obama EPA at the time was going to come after that, too. And uh, and Trump promised that he was going to reopen the mines and he was going to be better on energy. And that was a, a promise that I think had real purchase out there. Now it's the Biden administration and it's just full speed ahead with these climate issues, right, with attacking fossil fuels, with uh, you know the, the COP26 conference that's going on now. Um do you think that are they just tone deaf? I mean, what is going on here and how can Republic can Republicans continue to capitalize uh, with these voters and, and make sure that their livelihoods are secure? Yeah, no, I, I it's worse than tone deaf. It's intentional. I mean, there's there's no way that anyone with any logic, any any reasoning can can conclude anything. But it's deliberate. It's intentional. They don't care. They don't care that they lost in Virginia. They're going to plow ahead with their crazy spending and taxing and, and energy policies. They, they don't care. It's, it's this accelerated march towards communism that the left has embraced and the left has control of the Democrat Party. And the fundamental, I think the fundamental issue here is they don't view, the left doesn't view America the way we do. We love this country. We know it's the greatest country ever. And if you got a goal and you got a dream and you work hard, you can make good things happen in this country. That's the promise this nation has always offered its citizens. They don't see it that way. They don't like the country. They want to fundamentally change it. And they don't care if it means they have to lose some elections. They don't care if it if it kicks people out of their livelihood, pipeline workers on the Keystone Pipeline, coal workers in West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania. They don't care. They're going to plow ahead with, with what they're trying to do because they're committed to their leftist ideology. And that's why used to be you could work with Democrats. I always say Dennis Kucinich, former member of Congress, is a friend of mine. And there were Dennis and I didn't agree on much, but he was a fair liberal. Today's liberal is not like Dennis. Today's left is, uh, if you don't agree with me, you're not allowed to talk. And if you try to talk, I'm going to call you a racist and make sure you get canceled. That is scary. So in that environment, you just have to stop them. And they're going to keep trying. We got to win elections. We got to do what happened in Virginia last week if we're ever going to control this. So yeah, I don't, I don't see how you work with them. The folks in, I always say that, you go along the Ohio River from Pittsburgh, you follow the Ohio River all the way down to, to Mississippi. That stretch of, of real estate in this great country. Those people love President Trump because he stood up for them. Working class people who worked in these kind of industries and Biden is just, the Biden administration and Democrats are just going after him. And it's it's sad to see. Let's dig a little bit more into the Virginia election because I think it maybe pretends a little bit for the future of the GOP. And there's been kind of two main schools of thought that have come out of this. The first is you kind of have people who would really love to return to the way the Republican Party was before Trump. And they say, look, uh, if you just moderate, if you're a moderate Republican like Youngkin was, you can win in a in a blue or purple state and do really well. But when you actually look at Youngkin's policy positions, he's a conservative guy. He's not a, really a moderate on policy at all. He's moderate really only in, in temperament. So, I mean, from your perspective, 
can the Youngkin playbook, uh, you know, write on policy, maybe a, a little bit more moderate in temperament, um, be, a, be a winning strategy for, for other races? Or is this something that's maybe more isolated to some of these swing states? Well, I just think being a conservative wins. And I, I, I'm all for President Trump. I've already endorsed President Trump to run for president in 24. I, I think he was a, certainly did more of what he said than any president in our lifetime, maybe in the history of this country. And he did it against amazing odds. I mean, every Democrat in Washington was against him. Every uh, member of the mainstream press was against him. Everyone in the bureaucracy was against him. And a bunch of Republicans were against him. And yet he got more accomplished than, you know, I always say he, he said he cut taxes. He did. He said he reduced regulations. He did. He said he built a wall. He did. He said he'd get out of the Iran deal. He did. He said he put conservatives on the court. He did. He said he put the embassy in Jerusalem. He did. And, and a host of other things. So he just amazing. So that's doing what you said you would do is the main thing. Um, and being conservative, being standing for the principles that make our country a, a, the greatest country ever, I think, are how you win elections. And never forget, the Democrats campaigned on two pretty stupid ideas. The first one was government is smarter than parents. I don't think that's a winning message. And then the second one that we saw play out across the country was uh, Democrats want to defund the police. And, and, and most Americans says, I don't like that too well because I've seen crime go up like crazy since you've defunded the police. So you campaign on stupid ideas and then you have a conservative run on common sense and actually say moms and dads know better about kids than, than big government. Imagine that. I think you win. And then you need that toughness that President Trump brings to really get things done. And so that's the model. It's not I don't think it's rocket science. I think it's common sense. And like I say, Americans have a lot of common sense. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, Glenn Youngkin didn't have to attack critical race theory. You know, he didn't have to capitalize on this opening that Terry McAuliffe gave him. Uh, but he did. I mean, he called the the guy on the Loudoun County uh, who was complaining to the Loudoun County School Board. He he really walked through that door. And I think it shows you what can happen. Um, I am curious, though, because here in Virginia, we have a rather large cultural divide between the northern D.C. suburbs and you know, the southwestern part of the state. I mean, it is real deep blue America versus deep red America. And Yunkin was able to connect these two disparate areas, in a sense, uh, thanks to the education issue. He was able to bring them together. Uh, that's what his campaign manager told me. Uh, what Do you see that as being a future workable issue yes. to, to unite some of these gaps? And yes. is there anything those of you at the congressional level can do to help out with this? Yeah. Well, first of all, I learned a long time ago. I've been in politics a few years. I learned a long time ago. We have to deal with lobbyists and bureaucrats all the time. No high paid lobbyist, no bureaucrat will ever beat a mom on a mission. And that's what we saw play out in, in this election. Moms and dads who said, wait a minute, this garbage curricula you're teaching to our kid, this racist anti-American curriculum, we're not for it. And and they spoke up loud and clear. So I, I think that 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 resonates for all parents across whether you live in blue Virginia or or red Virginia. That to me was the key takeaway. What we can do in Congress is what we did. Two weeks ago, um, two weeks ago today, I believe was when the hearing happened. It was maybe it was three weeks ago, but um, a few weeks ago, we had uh, the attorney general in front of the Judiciary Committee, the House Judiciary Committee. And we decided that we were going to focus on this issue because it was so wrong. And we talked about the fact that his memorandum issued five days after the letter from the School Board Association to the President of the United States, where the letter asked for the FBI to get involved in local school board matters, his memorandum does just that five days later. 
And accompanying his memorandum was the press release, which talked about getting the National Security Division of the Justice Department involved, which is the division that deals with terrorism. So they were, in fact, treating moms and dads as domestic terrorists. We questioned him about this and we we focused on it. And what was interesting, the day after our hearing, the very next day, the National School Board Association apologized for their letter. And you guys have been around politics, not as long as I have, because you guys are young, but that doesn't just happen. You don't ever see some left-wing political group apologize a day after this is national news. They did it because they saw what was, and I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if someone from the McAuliffe campaign called the White House and said, hey, this ain't playing well. Because remember, this was just a few days before the election. This was like five days before. This ain't playing well for us. Uh, Can you do something about it? And then Maybe. I don't know for sure, but maybe a call from the White House goes out to the National School Board Association. You guys better apologize. And they did it 24 hours after that hearing. So drawing it, what we can do in Congress is draw attention to stupid things that the Democrats do and highlight those. And then the voters can see, as Ronald Reagan say, said, you know, you paint in big, bold colors so you, they can see the, the contrast. That's how you do it. That's what we tried to do on the committee. It, was, it wasn't for political reasons. It was It was designed to because we think it's wrong for the FBI to be issuing memorandums in all 94 U.S. attorneys districts saying we're going to go after parents. Yeah, you're you're right that apologies are usually few and far between, particularly from the left, which seems to have no shame whatsoever. Um, great example of that is the uh, latest um, updates from the Durham investigation, where you have one of the main sources for the Steele dossier being indicted for lying. Um, there was a, another indictment, I think, a month or two ago. And I'm hoping you can talk a little bit about that because you were one of the loudest voices during the Mueller investigation talking about the Russian collusion hoax. Um, so what is what do these latest updates in the Durham investigation really mean? Because I think a lot of people are still skeptical that that Trump and, and all of the people involved in this are going to see real justice um, for everything that happened to them. Well, let's hope they do. I mean, what what the Democrats and the Comey FBI and the Mueller investigate, what they put the country through. Remember, it was a three-year ordeal, $30 million, 19 lawyers, 48. I mean, it was just ridiculous what they put the country through. And now it's, it's, it's actually encouraging to see Mr. Durham, the special counsel, is, has actually issued some indictments. And I always point out, remember, these two indictments, Mr. Zussman and Mr. Danchenko, these two indictments weren't for these two individuals lying to John Durham and his investigative team. It's that that's the typical, uh, you know, you lie to the FBI. It's typically when it's a lie to the investigative team that's, that's that's currently doing the investigation. That's not what these are. These are the original lies. These are the lies from 2016 and 2017 that Zussman told to the FBI and Danchenko told to the FBI. These are the original lies. So Durham's went right back to the source and the source keeps coming right back to the Clinton campaign. So um, I think this is encouraging. Uh, the other thing I think is how could the FBI not know that this stuff was garbage, that this was all made up? Uh, remember, Mr. Zussman, the first indictment a couple months ago, Mr. Zussman doesn't do what, you know, the dossier was the Clinton campaign hires the law firm Perkins Coie, who hires Fusion GPS, who hires Christopher Steele. Christopher Steele goes out and talks to Russians like this Danchenko, gets information fed back up through to the FBI through Steele. A lot of the information Steele was getting through Danchenko was actually starting with the Clinton campaign. So it was all kind of mixed together and sent to the FBI and packaged as something that was legit when it was all baloney. Zussman's indictment, the other guy who's indicted, he doesn't do that. He, he avoids all the middlemen. He just goes straight to the FBI. So he just walks in with false information and gives it to the FBI. And again, <clears throat> excuse me, not anyone at the FBI, 
to the chief counsel, Jim Baker. He hands him false information and they run with it. And that becomes both Steele's information about the dossier, Zussman's information that he gives to Jim Baker about the Alpha Bank. He, he, that becomes the basis for launching an investigation and spying on the Trump campaign. And that all happened in America and it was all built on baloney. So, yeah, I hope it goes further. I think maybe is Jake Sullivan involved, maybe is other people. I don't know. But I'm encouraged by what uh, what we've seen from Durham. I just wish it would have been on a faster time frame, frankly, because the American people should have had all this information more than a year ago uh, as we headed into that election. I'm just glad we never have to talk about P-tapes ever again. Uh, yeah, Congressman yeah. Jim Jordan, thank you so much for coming on and making the time. I really appreciate it. You bet, guys. Thank you. Thanks for the good work you do. Take care. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out more at spectatorworld.com. And if you'd like to listen to us, please check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are available.